Welcome to the Grassroots Government Podcast. I'm Avery Davidson, along with our producer, Carl Wiggers, Louisiana Farm Bureau National Affairs Coordinator, Andy Brown, and Legislative Specialist, a.k.a. Lobbyist, Big Joe Mapes, giving us the champion sign there, putting the hands together and everything. We need to and shorten some uh, titles here. Yeah. Andy Brown, Natty Affairs. <laughs> Joe Natty Mapes, affair. lobbyist. No, no. Let's get it right. Natty Light Affairs. Natty Light Affairs. <laughs> I don't know. I feel kind of natty heavy today. But. Oh, man. Yeah, well, you, you just got your first uh, COVID vaccine this morning, right? Yeah, it's true. So, so Oh, no, second. Second? Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm clear, ready to go. Oh, you're going to be feeling great later. Mm-hmm. You need to get, get, get to bed pretty quick. Well, I'm just kidding. I hope it's not that bad. Yeah, but we got a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on this week. The legislative session began this week. We also now have a representative representing the 5th District of Louisiana. That is Congresswoman Julia Letlow. And uh, we'll be talking to her a little bit later in the podcast to find out how things are going on her first week at uh, the the U.S. Capitol. But let's get started with you, Joe. And uh, man, you've been fired up. All you know, all of our prep time talking about uh, getting ready for battle here. Yes, um, capital in Baton Rouge. We've got an attack on agriculture down there, like I've never seen, and we've been doing this for quite a while. But we've got bills ranging from repealing the sales tax exemption on agricultural inputs to uh, removing the uh, use value tax for agriculture. So what we've got to do is we've got to uh, engage our membership and participate like we never have before because what we've discovered in talking to these authors of these bills is that they don't understand agriculture. And we got into a heated discussion with one, and it was very apparent there that this one didn't understand agriculture. And so it's our job to educate them. I was about to say, that's that's kind of your main job. We talked, you and I visited Monday, the first day of the session, all the, the pomp and circumstance around that. Um, but you got a lot of new faces in the Capitol, and you got a lot of education ahead of you, a lot, a lot of work ahead in that department. Where I mean, any have you had any victories already this week as far as, like I say victories, but have you had, I mean, is that already happening even week one, day one? Is that already the education process already underway? Well, yes, yeah, certainly. When, whenever a bill gets discussed that we're opposed to, you know, and we talk to legislators about our position that opposes the author's position, we're educating right there. And we're telling them what's important to their voters back in their districts. So, yeah, we're, we've had successes. The One of these tax bills was discussed for quite a while in uh, committee yesterday, the Ways and Means Committee in the House. It didn't get out of committee. Now, I'm not saying that it's not going to come back up because it will. It will come back up. Um, but we're working on that success right now to keep that bill in committee, Carl, and not let it move any further through the process. And there are three bills that are pretty similar. You've got House Bill 605, House Bill 445, and House Bill 520. All three of those seek to remove exemptions and tax, in some cases, services, something that's never really been done before. Right. And good luck with that. What is a service? It's basically anything you want it to be if you're the government. Okay? You can define it any any number of ways. And so that is literally Pandora's box if you, you go to defining services. Uh, no, we can't have that. We've seen legislation like that before. But you're right. These three bills are, are, are in globo bills that encompass a lot of detailed information. One of them is 100 pages long. Now, consider that because you know that bill is going to get amended 
dozens, if not hundreds of ways, and each amendment would have the effect of a law of law if it went into place. So you see why we got to keep these bills where they are. Nope. And, you know, that's what member participation is what's going to do that. Now, what's the danger of these bills staying there and possibly even, even having a fiscal note run on them? Well, you know, to, to say... Real to, quick, what is a fiscal note? Okay, a lot of people say physical note, and that's incorrect. You know, it's fiscal, and that's F-I-S-C-A-L. As in and money. that means like, like money, correct. Right. And so we're in the midst of a fiscal session, which means that we're supposed to only be able to consider legislation in regard to the FISC, F-I-S-C, of the state, to the budget of the state. However, in our infinite wisdom, the legislature's infinite wisdom, as soon as we pass that law for just fiscal sessions, we came back and said, oh, yeah, well, we can add another five bills per legislator regarding anything. Uh, so that's another 750 bills, roughly, that they can add. So what if you hold it and get a fiscal note on it, what does that mean? Well, that means agriculture will then have a target on their back that is not realistic. Because but what is the note? Like, a price tag. A, a price tag. Okay. Yeah, it's how, it's, okay, so, so if legislators were in a room discussing a fiscal I- impact of a particular bill, and let's say it's this one that would remove exemptions, they want to see how, if this bill passed, how would it affect the budget of the state? Mm. Okay, and there's so many, so many dynamics there. So it's there. a hypothetical. It's hypothetical because you've got private industry attached to all of this, and you can't factor that into these conversations. You can't factor the future into them either. Well, and that's what I think Joe and I would say makes good policy separate from bad policy is our government a lot of times works in uh, in estimates and in uh, guesswork on how the government uh, is going to benefit from, from adding taxes to a business owner. But in the real world, that means real dollars and cents for that farmer who it's not that he he or she necessarily benefits from not having that tax. It's the economy of a small community in the state of Louisiana that benefits from that exemption. So, you know, we get we jumped right into the details of of the politics behind it. But our policy as an organization, it's not so that farmers get an advantage over their neighbor in their community. It's so that they can do the things that they do, provide the jobs that they provide. One of the uh, the bills that we're talking about to remove uh, a use uh, sales tax, I talked to a farmer buddy of mine this week, and he told me, he said, I know my books well enough to tell you that that, that would increase our tax bill at least $20,000 on my farm next year. That's a job for somebody in rural Louisiana, and, and that's what we need you know our members to be sharing with these legislators who all they're focused on is a fiscal note you know at the capitol what it's going to do for the state budget well uh, the state budget's all fine and well but if there's not businesses to support that state budget and you're going backwards good and, point and as a taxpayer i'm okay personally with having these exemptions there because if farmers are not able to produce the food that I eat, that means that I now have to go into the farming business. I am an absolutely horrible farmer. I planted three soybean seeds one time, and I was told by Greg Fox up in our marketing department that I picked them all too early, that they had too high of moisture. That said, we all have the jobs we have because farmers are growing the food. So it is good for all of society to ensure that these farmers can stay in business. And some of the ways in which you do that is you say, you know what, we're not going to tax 
the inputs that you have because it does all of society good. It allows all of us to keep growing our economy, to keep these jobs there, and to to be PR hacks, to be uh, bankers, to be musicians. All of these things happen because farmers are taking that risk and doing that instead of the rest of us. And I think that's part of the education, Joe, that you have to get across to some of these legislators who think that food just appears at Walmart. Right. And it's also a supply and demand issue. We commissioned a survey recently, and the results are in now, and shows that four out of four people eat food. Oh, dang. And so we're going to share that information with the legislators so they understand that we, as farmers, farming community, needs to continue to produce food. And Avery's being, being very serious when he says that if we don't support our farmers, we'll be having to grow our own food. And with the four of us in this room, we'd be in trouble. I don't know. Andy's got some, some sweet corn I can, I can yeah. rely on. Well, the rains have, have really done some hard work. Uh, <laughs> I, I live in Livingston Parish, uh, with, which is prone to flooding, so my sweet corn's had a tough week. But you want to talk about fiscal notes in the state budget, but that just to summarize y'all's points there, there is no state budget. There is no economy of the state to do all these other things, to have all these other bills if you don't take care of your food supply and your shelter supply and your clothing supply that our farmers and ranchers do. Well, I was going to I want to go back to the original question Avery you asked is what's the damage of letting these bills stay around and become a fiscal note at the end of the year. Now that I understand what is that does that just mean, hey, here's x dollars that could be is that what that they could be taken from a particular industry or profession if we remove their exemptions gotcha. okay and in our case they made up a number some years ago and talked about it on the house floor and i say made up because when i was in a passionate discussion with um the legislator who filed one of these bills recently um, i asked him i said how are you going to calculate exclusions because they're not there I said, I'm not a mathematician, but I don't think you can add something together that doesn't exist. He immediately turned and pointed to the people from the department in the room, and he goes, I don't know. That's not my deal. That's them. And I said, no, it's your bill. You know, you need to know these things, and you should be able to express them. And I said, but I'll tell you, you can't calculate exclusions, okay? So any number that you or the department come up with is made up, and then it's just a target on ag's back because it's not real. And they say, if you want to go get X amount of million dollars to put in the budget for the state budget, let's go after ag and we can get them by repealing all that. No, you know, it won't be an accurate number. And so you'll devastate ag. The state would devastate ag because, because again, I don't know what the exclusions are, how much they would add up to. But if you said they added up to X and then it would, it would remove all of the exemptions, all of them completely. You can't prove a negative. That's yes. the big thing. You can't prove a negative. And so if you have an exemption, that's a zero. And, and he had an answer for that, though. The legislator did. You know, he said, that's their problem, not mine. No, it's ag's problem if we don't stop this bill. It's my problem if I can't eat, man. Yeah. And we just don't. You know, I was taught as a very young man, if you see a snake in the grass, chop its head off. OK. And so we've got three snakes in the grass and these pieces of legislation. And if we let them slither out of committee, how, how's that going to do ag any good? How's that going to do the legislature any good? Because they don't even know what's in their own bills, and they don't know how to even find out, and they can't find out because they're chasing, is it a white rabbit? I don't know, but they're chasing something, and it ain't real, and it's called exclusions. Well, and a lot of the worries and, and reasons to have a uh, fiscal session and to come after exemptions 
has been alleviated by federal dollars that are coming to the state to help fill a lot of our budget shortfalls anyway. So this idea that we have to come after and create all these government dollars for the state to have isn't even necessary, you know, at this point. Right. But, uh, there's there's just a lot of reasons that this doesn't make sense, um, not just for agriculture, but for the state as a whole. Well, you brought well, up. Oh, go no, ahead. No, no, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. I'm, go no, ahead. no, go ahead. No, 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 no. Louisiana Association of Business and Industry has a package, and for some reason, this is part of their package. I don't get it. You know, wh- why would they be for taxing? services for example you know a few years back we were if i don't if memory serves we were shoulder to shoulder with them trying to kill these bills okay so they've got a new tax reform policy going on at lobby and therein lies the answer to your question well i was going to say andy you brought up federal dollars uh there are some federal disaster dollars that have been paid out to farmers and uh are still on the on the books tell me a little bit about what's the the latest with uh the COVID 19 disaster payments and that sort of thing well the, you, you mentioned two kind of separate issues there avery we've got uh the, that's my confusion uh, that's, it's okay <laughs> it, it's a lot of alphabet soup but the the COVID 19 side of it um we i think we've talked about this before that in december consolidated appropriations act uh two trillion dollar bill uh in total but had about 12 billion dollars for agriculture uh they've they've successfully in about a week's time spent half of that uh, six billion going uh, mostly to our our row crop uh, producers that had trouble with markets last year because of the pandemic and then our cattle producers as well uh receiving some assistance from their market breakdowns and processing and so forth so uh that's gone out we're still working and still doing this same type of uh, grassroots engagement on the needs uh, for that other six billion. Uh, it's it, it keeps uh, it continues to see people, industry, different sectors of agriculture line up for that six billion dollars because the needs were so widespread. Uh, and there's been people, especially on the processing side, that didn't receive any help on uh, some of these previous bills and the CFAPs and uh, those things we've talked about before. So. There's a long line of folks uh, still waiting around on pandemic uh, help uh, from that bill in December. And right now, it's not moving too quick on that side of it to get it out. The The row crop and cattle thing was kind of had a nice bow on it and easy for USDA to work through. It was just kind of pulling the, the trigger on some, some money. But uh, the other part of it, they're having to write rules, create, you know, it, there's there's two sides to all of this whether it's state taxes or federal dollars, there's the the legislation side and then there's the agency side that has to implement it and and get it out. So uh, that's where we're at on the other half of the pandemic. Quite quite complex. Yeah, it it gets, uh, you know, a crawfish farmer and the needs he has and not anywhere close to a cotton user, a textile mill or a, you know, a cattle uh, or a livestock processing facility doesn't have the same needs as a timber harvester you know it's just it's complicated but we're working through it the the real focus uh that's that ship's kind of sailed and we're just we're just working through the the details on the pandemic side but the disaster side it just can't get any traction uh we we continue to see trillion dollar giant federal bills coming out of dc but uh 
it's it's what's making headlines and hurricanes from 2020 are out of sight out of mind and so it's taken folks like me and and my counterparts in other states we are beating that drum as loud as you can but uh, you got to find the right uh, vehicle to get get some traction and get a bill going so we're we're getting there but it's just it's a lot slower than somebody who had their roof ripped off or had you know cattle uh, die in a snowstorm that they need help yesterday they need help you know weeks ago months ago now almost it won't be long it'll be a year before some of these hurricanes hit so um we're working on it but there's there's a lot of hurdles in that in that arena too and there's a little bit of regionalization i guess uh when it comes to support for some of this because like uh i know that we we had the ice storm this year right that's a disaster and that obviously folks up in the northeast part of the state all of our poultry farmers need because of the structural damage to uh some of the poultry houses that might not be included in what some other states are trying to push through yeah so it this always happens with disaster bills, the the regionality of it, because a, a wildfire in California and Oregon doesn't affect, you know, a, a pine tree uh, farmer in Georgia, or you, you know, everybody understands that that these are, uh, at least as a federal sense, somewhat local issues, you know, a handful of states at a time. But what's disappointing is that because of that regionality you don't have the politics to get enough traction like i talked about and so it takes all these people having all these different issues all over the country to finally come together and try to create a program that's supposed to meet their needs well by the time you do all that and it you finally get some some money appropriated then you know everybody gets a little piece of something very little very broad and it's hard to apply it and that's really we're, we're actually looking uh towards the 2023 farm bill to see if we can make disaster programs better because i've been to cameron parish uh in the last week and a half i mean there's a lot of blue tarps still on roofs down there and it's like you you try to get that message to washington and they're hung up on you know infrastructure in 2030 you know like mm-hmm. excuse me you were elected to meet the needs of your people now right not now. you know we we have issues at hand if you want to plan for the future later great we'd love to talk to you about infrastructure we need have those needs too but if you don't take care of home today you know what do you got to plan for tomorrow and you mentioned that you know any disaster is a local issue. There are some things that Louisiana Farm Bureau is doing to to help with disasters immediately after, especially in connecting people. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, we always try on you know for anybody listening to find ways that you can not just listen but be engaged with what we're talking about. With Joe, you certainly need to be contacting your legislators or. The, the author of, of these bills uh, that we've mentioned or, you know, anybody at that capital needs to know about tax exemptions for agriculture. Like you said, we're under attack. It's uh, it's a different grassroots message for what we're doing disaster-wise. I think, you know, folks hear me on here a lot talk about federal dollars and programs and what we're trying to, you know, get money appropriated to. But there's more to it than that. You know, our organization isn't just a... Uh, a bankroll and trying to find uh, dollars uh, just because we're money hungry. We're trying to solve issues, and we're proving that now uh, again, like we do on a lot of issues, by 
going to our grassroots and trying to find ways to connect member to member, neighbor to neighbor, whether that's down the street or across the state. When a disaster hits, this state's really good at, at coming to the table and all hands on deck and, and neighbor helping neighbor. So we're trying to put that together by creating a, a network, creating what we do best, what y'all do best in PR to, to connect people and uh, get their message out there that, hey, a hurricane came through. I have a poultry house full of chickens and I'm running out of fuel and can't get it. You know, somebody across the state might have some they'd be willing to loan you, sell you, give you whatever. And not just in the state, we're going to connect outside of the state as well. One of the things that Joe and I have talked about for years now, I mean, we've seen it through the Hay Clearinghouse, but, and now with this disaster, I and mean, you see it anytime there's a kind of disaster, everybody comes to the help. I mean, and that's from across the country or when Joe has an issue and needs, you know, warm bodies in a, in a committee room, talk about an issue. Farm Bureau is just a network of people that are active. And that's one of the cool things about the organization that we work. The grassroots are very active. And this is just straight up connecting grassroots. Hey, you got this. This person needs that. Like help, let's help a neighbor. And that's, that's really cool to see in action. Yeah, sometimes it takes policy, sometimes it takes government intervention, it takes government dollars, it takes taxes, you know, we have policy on all those things, but at the root of what we try to do is solve problems, and if we can solve those without Joe and I having heated discussions with an elected official, that's better, you know, that's what we, we would prefer, so it's it's so cool to see just naturally our leaders step up and want to help their neighbor and not ask anybody else to do it for them. And that, that happens already. We're just trying to get more efficient at that and, and connect people and, and take care of these needs a little better. Yeah. And to, to let everyone know kind of what's going on behind the scenes as well, there is a disaster advisory, I mean, a da- yeah, disaster response committee that has formed uh, involving much of the uh, the executive committee of the Louisiana Farm Bureau State Board, Randy Bracy from Bracy's Nursery is on there as well. And uh, nurseries nurseries were hit pretty hard in this this Very. last last ice storm. And you didn't you talk to uh, someone about that? Yeah, well, I've done actually multiple stories. I've, I've been up there Forest Hill three times now doing stories on this, starting at Hurricane Laura back in August, September. I went up there went back after the ice storms and they're still trying to get relief from hurricanes back to that. Yep. But one of the cool things was by the time I got there, a lot of farm, a lot of nursery owners who have to run pumps and water plants because as soon as the, the hurricane came through, the sun came out and they had a bunch of busted pipes all over the place, but no water or no electricity to run these pumps and stuff. So a lot of, nursery owners from outside of that region that was hit so hard, like Bracey's, were sending generators. Like, hey, hey, here, use this to run your pumps to water your your crop, what was not damaged. So that's kind of some of the early starts of, I think, this disaster committee is seeing some of that happening kind of organically. Yeah, that's what Mr. Bracey said in our last meeting was he said, we're really well connected and communicate well in our industry as nurserymen, but I want to be able to help you know, that cattle farmer in Vermilion Parish, or I want to, you know, 
we can we can get better at this where it's not just little niche groups mm-hmm. and and you know we can kind of make fully, the web a little bit that's right a little bit more of a spider web yeah and that's sort of where the strength of farm bureau is we're the state's largest general farm organization we don't specialize in one commodity one group we connect those groups in a way that none of these groups can sort of do within a great example of that is soybean farmers and you know say february are not really affected by the ice but those soybean farmers may have resources that those cattlemen that are birthing calves they may have resources that can help each other in the same you know part of the state so that's that's one way that you can reach outside of your own commodity your own industry your your own Mm. little niche and really help help a neighbor out well and just to bring it back to the the government side of this is that's that's the challenge when it comes to policy that a ice storm in February for a soybean farmer who can apply for say whip plus that would come if we get one of these bills well that's not going to help a cattle farmer in that same area dealing with the same storm so it, it's just a lot of times like Joe's dealing with that you have these bills that sound good that are one size fit all uh, or just are uh you know, have a, a good fiscal note, but when, like I said earlier, when it comes to the farm and, or it comes to a business of any type in the state, you really have to think about how it, you know, what's the, what's the cause and effect, you know, that, that needs to, to be thought about, not just, well, that, that agency figures out that dollar figure for me and, uh, you know, it sounds good. You brought up the farm bill, uh, looking at that for some disaster, uh, possible changes in disaster programs in the future. Are, are we already starting to work on the 23 farm bill? We are, and we, uh, we have a very exciting uh, avenue into a closer look at the farm bill, hopefully. Uh, we have uh, a newly elected congresswoman in the 5th District who was appointed to the House Ag Committee, and a lot of those early discussions, policy-wise, come out of that committee so uh we we were sitting tight for a while uh waiting to to see where that race would fall we're thankful that it fell uh to julia letlow and she's going to represent us well in those discussions we're already visiting with her she's a you know a resident of northeast louisiana i'm sure we can ask her if if her home suffered any uh time out of electricity or you know those things but uh that's what you need you need somebody who feels those issues every day and and we think she's going to do a great job of that. I'm going to crown Andy Brown king of the Segway because we will be speaking with newly elected and newly sworn in Congresswoman Julia Letlow right after this short break. I'm Jim Harper, president of the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Agriculture is big business in our state. $11 billion a year for Louisiana's economy. When other businesses had to shut their doors, our essential Louisiana farmers and ranchers continue to provide each of us with the food and fiber we need to survive. That's why I'm a proud member of the Louisiana Farm Bureau family. Visit LAFarmBureau.org, the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Well, thanks for sticking with us, and I'm glad you did because we have a wonderful guest with us now. Finally, Louisiana's 5th Congressional District has representation, and just sworn in this week, Representative Julia Letlow. Julia, thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you so much for having me, Avery. It's an honor to be with you. And I got to watch my manners here. I should say, Congresswoman. I've got to got to get on that uh, a little bit better. We that first name basis from uh, you know before you took the oath of office. Now I've I've got to be a little more fo- formal. Yeah, she's official now. No. You better watch your tone, no. Avery. We got the the uh, the head honcho with us today. It's exciting. No, I'm, I'm always going to be just Julia. So, <laughs> well. Congresswoman Letlow, tell me what it was like uh, actually taking that oath of office. What was that like for you? You know, it was a surreal experience. It was uh, humbling and uh, to be in those hallowed halls and just to be surrounded by uh, so much history. Um, you know, it was it was a really um, unique and uh, wonderful experience. I was able to actually have my family there, Luke's family, my children were there uh, up in the gallery. So just being able to take that oath and knowing that they were behind me um, and then all of my colleagues, the Louisiana delegation, uh, it it was just a really humbling, uh, beautiful experience, one that I'll never forget. Julia, I'm curious. uh, I know you're uh, late husband spent many years and hours and nights and days in Washington, but uh, were, did you spend a lot of time there or have your kids? Uh, was that was that an experience for them? Just what? Uh, how much? How familiar are you with uh, being in that Beltway? Right. Well, that this was their first experience. My children uh, up in Washington, and uh, I, I have to think that Jeremiah has already grown to like it quite a bit. He uh, he loved the ice cream and and all of the special attention people were giving him. But uh, you're right, Luke has been in government uh, for quite some time now uh, through many administrations. And you know, I, uh, we were married for eight years and have been lockstep with one another, as you often are with your spouse. They become uh, your best friend. You bring your work home. Uh, plenty of nights. And so I had that front row uh, seat, if you will, to uh, what project he was working on with Congressman Abraham and and what they were able to bring back to the district and, uh, you know, as well as as the challenges that they were facing. So uh, I'm not a complete stranger to Washington, but but I am, uh, you know, going in knowing that I have a lot to learn and I'm excited to get to work. Well, I, I, my experience is is uh, a little bit similar, just in the uh, the tourism side, and just got to bring my wife to D.C. for her first time last year. We I wasn't being sworn into anything, but uh, it's a special moment to bring your family up there and just feel that history and feel what you're stepping into because it's you know we're we're excited and and know you have a lot of. A knowledge about your district but it's it's a different ball game to walk those halls and feel that history each and every day so i hope that's been a good experience this week for you it it sure has you couldn't have said it any better it's uh humbling to say the least i'm, I'm really just in awe of the history surrounding me uh this this very week in my first week <laughs> Was Julia? This uh, this is Carl. It's been a very busy week for you. You've you've been sworn in. Was it yesterday or Wednesday? What day was it? Wednesday. It's been a crazy week, I know, for you. Yeah. But now you've also been appointed to the House Ag Committee, right? That's right. Are you excited about that 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 step? I mean, I know that's something that you you were hoping for in the campaigning days. What are your plans for that? Oh, I could not be more honored uh, to be appointed to the Ag Committee. Uh, you know, I was just informed today that my first full committee meeting will be next Tuesday on the 20th. 
Um, and that's, that hearing is going to focus on rural broadband, uh, which you all know uh, is near and dear to my heart. Um, as, as I've traversed the 5th District, I heard more about that than any other issue. Um, but so I'm excited to, uh, to be on this committee, to be in these hearings, to be a part of it. Uh, there's so much conversation that's happening right now, as I'm told. And um, again, I go back to I have so much uh, that I need to learn, but I'm just excited to be a part of the process and to fight for the 5th District to make sure that our farmers have what they need. And I know rural broadband uh, is is it, it affects more than just farmers and ranchers. It affects all the people in all of our rural communities. I've heard stories about during the pandemic, during the stay-at-home order, when kids were having to learn virtually, parents parking outside of libraries just so they had internet access. That's it. That's it. Yeah. It, I mean, when you think about um, educating our children, uh, providing health care to uh, my constituents who are in those rural communities, it's vital. Uh, nothing like a pandemic to bring to light how uh, vital rural broadband is, and I'm going to make sure I can do everything possible to, to make sure our district receives it. It's a good story for your district to tell, and I know uh, you've seen this in your travels around your district already, but uh, folks think uh, internet doesn't apply to the farm, but uh, I think you've seen, we'll continue to see that uh, it's it's very important to have that connectivity. If we're going to continue to do what farmers are doing to help the environment, to uh, better their communities, provide jobs, all those things that um, that that we've heard you speak of on your campaign, uh, they're going to need that. It's not just a it's not a luxury now to have internet. It's it's a utility that everybody needs for sure. That's right. I mean, um, you're running a business and you need that technology and the internet uh, for modern farming these days. So um, I'm, I plan to bring it home. Back at home, the 5th District, which is the largest row crop district in the country, what are some of the challenges that you see facing agriculture and the farmers and ranchers who, who you now represent? You know, I've been uh, talking to so many of them and I'm so thankful I had that almost a full year to uh, campaign with Luke and meet so many of them. Uh, and then also throughout my, my campaign to meet so many uh, farmers, ranchers, and loggers throughout the district. And they're facing a lot of challenges that they shared with me. Uh, you know, one is always uh, that disaster relief um, that, that, that they're going to need. And, and I want to make sure that I can uh, be a part of, of making sure that they receive when they are in need. Um, you know, another thing that I heard uh quite a bit on the trail was about labor and that uh, farmers have a tough time of finding and keeping enough labor to work their farms and um, and how this can result in acres not being planted. You know, I want to be an advocate for those H2A and H2B workers. Um, and then, you know, it, it all goes back to uh, rural broadband, like we talked about earlier, uh, that, um, you know, that our farmers need that for modern, modern farming. So I, I heard about all kinds of different uh, issues facing the 5th District. I want to hear about even more. Uh, I want the 5th District to know, especially uh, our farmers out there, that uh, my staff is uh, very seasoned in ag. Uh, they are equipped and ready to go and hear their concerns to make sure that I'm fighting for uh, the concerns that affect all of them. Well, we we know that you're going to do that. You're you're already proving that to us, and just what you've uh, what you've laid out there today. But um, we want to return the favor. We want to be that uh, source for you, like we've been for a lot of your staff and your predecessors. So, um, 
you know, is that having that resource of uh, of a grassroots network, uh, just how important is it uh, for you to stay connected to the people and to see these issues with your own eyes? Absolutely vital. And it's, it's organizations just like the Farm Bureau, you're my eyes and ears, uh, boots on the ground that are making sure that I uh, am, am heading in the right direction. So it's so important for me to have these relationships and these connections with all of you. Uh, to make sure that I go and visit with all of you, that I see the issues that you're facing so that I can best represent you. It's important for the staff in my office to be well aware of all of the issues that you're facing. I think um, you'll be very pleased with with the staff that we have on, that stayed on from Congressman Abraham's uh, staff and, and who Luke had had put in place. You know, they are so well-versed and they're, they're veterans in the ag community. And I'm so thankful that they're They've agreed to stay on, and uh, it's just important to have, you know, a, a great relationship with the Farm Bureau, and I plan to keep that strong moving forward. Well, we have one thing we need you to, to work on for us, and that's having the ability to come and see you in, in Washington. So we, we try to do that uh, pretty frequently, and uh, we're looking forward to to getting it up there and, and bringing our members to see you as well. I I just got my second COVID vaccine this morning. Uh, we're we're seeing that through a lot of our membership. Do, do you have any comments on uh, how we, we can help uh, open things back up or come see you uh, soon in, in Washington? Absolutely. I'm so ready for those walls to come down so we can start meeting with our constituents again. Just like you said prior, it's so important for us to have those conversations and meet face to face. And I can't wait uh, till they open these doors back up and we can get people back up here. I would say the number one thing to do is is what you just did this morning. Get that vaccine and uh, that's going to help us start opening our economy back up again. Get things moving again so we can get back to some kind of normalcy. And you don't have to worry about being on the podcast with us because Andy just got his second shot. Carl and I have both had our second shots in past two weeks. So, uh, you know, this is probably the the least infectious podcast uh, done (laughs) ever, possibly. Yeah, we've been too serious for too long. So I got to ask you what I think is is an extremely important question. Um, Over at there's a place right there by the U.S. Capitol called Bullfeathers. And they have some of the best milkshakes on the planet. Have you had a Bullfeathers milkshake? And if so, what's your favorite flavor? You are not going to believe this, but we actually went to eat lunch at Bullfeathers yesterday. Um, no one told me about the milkshake. Oh. So, I mean, I am so upset. This is why Farm Bureau <laughs> needs to get back to Washington to visit with our elected officials so that we can share the wonderful dairy products of our farmers and ranchers through a frozen treat at Bullfeathers. I'm going to tell you now, the Oreo milkshake from Bullfeathers, it will just, uh, it'll add about 10 pounds to you, which, which, but it's worth it. It's worth it because it's so darn good. Well, we have a very uh, tried and true um just foundational part of our organization that you need to know, Miss Letlow, and that is if we're going to be meeting, we might as well be eating. So get ready <laughs> for uh, Farm Bureau meetings. That, that's uh, the Farm Bureau 15 is real. Well, Congresswoman, I'm for it. Uh, you're, you're for it. You, we, we, I thought it was the Farm Bureau 40. Well, it, that's it, what I got. A couple milkshakes, you'll be there. 
Well, Congresswoman <laughs> Letlow, is there anything else that you wanted to, to talk about that, that, you know, maybe we glazed over? Because I know this is just an exciting time for you and it's been a busy morning. You had votes leading up to being able to meet with us. So I'm so thankful that you fit us into your schedule. Well, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for all that you do uh, through the Farm Bureau, all that you did for me during the campaign to help me prep and just you know, get up to speed. And I'm so thankful that we're going to have a working relationship going forward. If there's any way that, that my office, um, our staff, our team can be of service to you, we are here, we're ready, we're eager uh, to get going and to listen to your concerns so that we can be an effective voice for change. So I'm just so thrilled and excited to be here. It's an honor to serve you. Well, we're thrilled and excited that you're there as well. Congresswoman Julia Letlow from Louisiana's 5th District. Now, how cool was that? Her first week on the job and comes on the Grassroots Government Podcast. It's nice having connections. Well, we've definitely uh, stepped up uh, from just us jokers that get (laughs) here to talk every week. So uh, we're moving on up. It's been a year on the podcast, so it's about time that we uh, actually put somebody that our listeners want to hear from on this thing. So I hope it gives us a few more. Well, I appreciate every one of you who is listening. And uh, remember, it only happens when you get involved. For Carl Wiggers, for Joe Mapes, for Andy Brown, I'm Avery Davidson. Thank you for joining us for the Grassroots Government Podcast. And as Joe would say, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. At Bullfeathers. Feathers.